When I had my talk with Noemi back in start of winter, I was pretty convinced I was neurodivergent. Now, since a week ago, I have the diagnosis ADHD and so I'm finding my way in this and trying out medication. The thing is, I don't know if I'd have included this information in my intro speak had I not felt so inspired by the authenticity of Noemi showing up as their full self in our conversation. As you'll hear in the following, Noemi entails a wealth of therapeutic wisdom and is generous, to say the least, in sharing their vulnerabilities to whatever extent it might be of service. In our conversation, Noemi reveals how studying history and doing their own podcast was the perfect preparation to becoming a relationship and sex counselor, and the many ways in which being their own guinea pig has helped shape their approach to therapy. Also, brace yourself for the warmest, softest voice I've ever had on the show. I think I've told you before, I'm always a bit nervous when it comes to pronouncing your name. So can you say your full name in the perfect French pronunciation? <laughs> so my name is Noemi. <laughs> Noemi. Yeah. Amazing. And can you can you share a bit about your personal journey and how it influenced your decision to become the type of counselor you are today? I think since, since I was really young, I was always uh, really interested in topics that were probably a bit taboo and not really getting why it was so taboo or why people were ashamed or like shaming people. And I've always been really curious about sexuality, orientation, gender. And yeah, when I was a teenager, it was not really well accepted uh, in high school or yeah, I was more experimenting some sort of like harassment or shaming. And then I must say that I kind of like um, uh, put that a bit aside to be accepted, always feeling a bit of an alien in so many ways. Um, and then when I started to study, I studied history in Paris at La Sorbonne. And I choose like uh, most of my options uh, were linked to sociology. I also had like a gender history class, which was back then like really something nobody was understanding and I had to explain every time like, oh yeah, it's about feminism and, and no, there's not only one way to be feminist and so on. And I think back then I, I really remember like I did an essay that was pretty free. We were able to choose the topic we wanted to and I worked on uh, Annie Sprinkle uh, work and she's now she's really in the ecofeminism, but she's like a sex worker that turned out like somehow to be like uh, more like in the porn industry and became a director and she was doing what we call like feminist porn. And I was really interested by her work and I was like, so analyzing how uh, porn movies were feminist. And yeah, it was a bit like when I g gave like the essay, it was like, it's like all the teacher is going to love it or they're going to hate it because it's a bit like a full in or not. And she loved it. I had a really good uh, grade. So then I was like, I realized, oh, I really enjoy this topic and so on. And I was like, uh, like, oh, there's apparently like some, like there's a work, like it could be like sex therapy or sexologist and but back then, I think I was 
considering myself as too sensitive to be a therapist. Like I'm, I would maybe like need to deal with my own issues to be able to help people. I was also like um, uh, struggling with uh, eating disorder at that time. I, have, I was like full in anorexia bulimia. So I was like, okay, you need to first like, like deal with that. And, and that's what I did because I had my first burnout back then. Did, mm. did you do therapy or counseling of any sorts back then that also inspired you? Yeah, I had a psychiatrist then and I must say that was not a good one. Uh, like she was really uh, using a lot of medication to help me, but it was not really helpful. And yeah, she she had some problematic, I would say, like uh, approaches. And it's yeah, I would to be completely honest, it led me to take at some point like too much medication. And then at some point I was like, okay, that's a burnout. And then like um, I went to a psychiatric clinic to really walk on the eating disorder and understand myself why and so on. So it was like a three month and a half uh, hospitalization. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was also really like in touch with a lot of uh, a lot of psychiatrists because we were meeting like every day with like 10 minute sessions. And there was also like one psychologist, but it was I had like just a few sessions and it's a lot of medication also. And it was always kind of because I never really connected with this approach because I was really more like a control freak and medication were more like like, making me like lose control of myself or like also disconnect from my emotion that were maybe like really, really high up and really, really high down. But then I was maybe stable, but was also feeling kind of tasteless. Like everything was like, "Mm." but I was also really lucky because one of the psychiatrists was uh, really interested in mindfulness. That was when in France it arrived in the psychiatry psychiatry environment. And then I think that's really what helped me to um, heal and understand myself and also not having to take medication. And I was like, I really connected with this approach and feeling at some point I would be happy to use it also to help people. I think in myself, there's kind of a part who, when I learn something, I love to then share it with others, like kind of, that's how it makes sense somehow to have a cycle of like, if I learn something, then at some point it's also nice to share it with other people and to, yeah, that would be maybe my way to have a good impact on this world, I guess. Aren't there also so many philosophers out there who say that in order to learn, you have to teach? Yeah. And I think that's also why I'm doing so many like workshops and so on, because I know like there's a topic I'm really into. And then I'm like, okay, if I need to explain it to others, then that's how I'm going to learn and have it like really in me. Um, Yeah. Just like learning by heart make no sense for me, nor my brain. So I feel like I'm going to learn it, maybe like be able to like say it for the exam. But then if I don't have to use it on a daily basis or like uh, regularly, like it's not really useful. And now I think my brain is just like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) So I'm trying to, yeah, find ways. (laughs) 
That makes sense. And so how, like, what's the ratio actually now between how, you know, how, how much are you teaching? How many workshops are you conducting? Is it, has it become a big chunk of your profession to, to do it like almost weekly or is it more irregular? I would say like lately with more every month. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was also like trying to find a balance because it's also a lot of time, a lot of energy, like it's also implying a lot of promotion and that's also like quite a lot of energy. And that's also like where, um, cause after like the, like history, um, like, um, uh, studied, then I, and after the clinic, I was like, okay, I need to find a job, which is linked maybe to sociology, but like still not feeling like I could be a therapist. So I started to work in advertising because oh. there's still like a connection with the brain somehow, maybe not yeah. with the same purpose, but I was also like looking for some kind of economical stability and be like, okay, maybe this is a job when I can have money and still have something that I'm interested in. I had maybe like the economical stability, but not the mental health one. So yeah. I, I, I was keeping doing like all burnout or feeling on the edge of burnout until the point I realized the problem was not me, but the field that was in and the purpose and the lack of sense of like what we were doing and so much pressure for just selling products. And, and yeah, I think at some point that like it was in 2018, in France, like podcasts start, started to be a thing and it was kind of like bubbling and kind of, I was feeling something was starting and I, I realized that I could maybe do something, uh, and maybe do like a podcast or something. And also have always have people around me telling me, ah, oh, you have like a nice voice. You could do like a radio voice or stuff like this. I was like, maybe it's a thing. <laughs> and also to reconnect with like the research I really like, uh, when I was like studying. And I was not feeling that in the advertising. So yeah, I, I studied a podcast when I was interviewing couples and asking them to explain how they meet, how they meet, how they connect and like also questioning gender or like monogamy or mm -hmm. heterosexuality and everything around it. And at some point I real I remember like there was a couple, I, I was doing pre-interview before the real interview to kind of feeling, uh, what we could talk about. And we did that. And then I think the pre-interview turned out to be an interview not being recorded. And when I left the place, I was like, I realized that I helped them to, to communicate somehow and to find what were the core of their relationship and that something had happened, uh, in front of my eyes. And I was like, there's something I, I can do. And I was like, oh, but maybe like it could be more than just a podcast and it could be maybe like a walk. And then I had like that in my mind and at some point I was like, okay, I want to get back to study and study psych therapy. Um, I think it was also like dealing with the fact that I have been shamed a lot when I was younger about my relationship to sexuality. So it was also, okay, I need to kind of take control on that and take these experiences and make it like more empowering and be like, okay, like this is my thing. And I really want to study that. So that's what I did also during lockdown. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? Studying during lockdown. Uh, it was like, a, 
mostly online. So it was so tough because it was like eight hours behind a screen trying to like listen to someone like sharing knowledge and like I was, I'm also in the neurodivergence uh, spectrum. So like this is not easy to be focused so long uh, on one topic and without moving. So I was trying to find ways like, oh, maybe I should like just have it like in my ear and just like walk or having trying the standing desk, everything to be more active because just like sitting, I was like, oh, feeling super like nervous. And yeah, I felt it was what made me realize how uh, neurodivergent I am. That's when I was like, okay, like looking for information about ADHD or autism or and how I could maybe find tricks to help or to be more focused or trying to handle with a system that is definitely not adapted for people who have like trouble to focus. Mm. Did you already know that you had this diagnosis or did you get it after studying and realizing these things about yourself? I got it after, um, before, like I started to, to study when I was in Berlin cause I moved to Berlin, uh, one week before lockdown. Whoa. So yeah, <laughs> but bef before in Paris, I was starting to look for information and I had, I did like a IQ test and that was really bad because I had a panic attack during the test. So because of the timer and the thing like that. So they were like, okay, like you're probably like on, I don't know, having a high IQ, but whatever that means, because also those tests are like pretty, I don't know. There was a lot of question when I was like, it doesn't make any sense to use that to, um, Decide like, I don't know, like determine anything. <laughs> yeah. Cause a lot of things are like, I don't know, like cultural question about like what, and that's not something that determine if you're smart or not. It's also like, where do you come from? What like kind of, uh, knowledge you had access to and stuff like this. And so, yeah, like after this test, they told me that, oh, you're like highly sensitive for sure. Have you tried meditation? And I was like, oh, thank you. Like, um, <laughs> And I think after like studying sex, sex therapy, I was like, okay, like, I think it's more than just like highly sensitive, I think. Uh, and then I was, I think also on social media, they were also more content about ADHD and I was doing a lot of research and being like, okay, that's something I, I can relate to, but also it's yeah. super hard because like this also a lot of people are judging the auto diagnosis and yeah. how much by reading stuff we can maybe create the thing somehow. And yeah. so, yeah, that was a bit like a blurry, blurry period. Cause it was like yeah. trying to find myself, but also like still having to deal with a lot of, uh, psychiatrists and like this approach is also like kind of unbalanced somehow. Like I feel like they're, they're the experts and they teach you how you are somehow. And I was like, I don't know. Yeah, and it's sure. also like, I was also processing, uh, some traumatic experiences. So PTSD and ADHD, it has a lot of things that overlap. So sometimes it was like, oh, but like, maybe you just have PTSD. And I was like, but I don't know. I just want to know how I could find like tricks to have, um, a better life somehow. Yeah. And so, did, yeah. did, did you essentially then find, um, a 
good, secure psychiatrist to help you figure mm. out what was at play and like I find a good neuro neuropsychologist who helped me to to first to learn how I could like on a daily basis um, have some routine or some exercises that could help me to have uh, everyday life a bit more stable. And then I, d I decided to do the test, uh, which I didn't want to do at the beginning. And then I did like the diagnosis. And then, yeah, it was still a bit mixed because it was like, yeah, but because of PTSD, we can't say it's a proper yes, yes. And I was like really angry at this time because I was like, also, do you realize what you're saying? Like, I could feel ashamed because I had trauma. That's not my fault. It's unfair. But um, my goal was to try medication and yeah. and then like, and I, I, I did, but then I had like first uh, an appointment with a first psychiatrist who told me that I was not having ADHD, but I was just dealing with depression because it was also like a low phase and then it was like she or she wanted to put me under like antidepressant and then i was like okay that's uh i'm, I'm not sure she's true and i was happy to have a psychologist on the side like i uh, i can and ask her like do you think i'm depressed because i don't feel that way but like i don't know and like she i think that's the first time a therapist told me but you are your own expert like if you don't think they are true listen to your guts and and she told me like i don't think you're depressed you have depressive phases and it's probably linked to adhd but i can't tell you that because i'm not an expert on that and mm. and yeah and then i found like another psychiatrist but basically he's more like i'm going there and i'm asking for the medication and he's doing me the prescription that's yeah, it okay. but, um, yeah. like i don't i don't have so many good experiences with psychiatrists to be honest I feel also yeah. like they have this like medical approach with a lot of like based on researches that are like ma mostly made on young boy and like also like there's also like a lot of um, like the researchers are also too late about like doing like finding how ADHD or any kind of the neurodivergence uh, it can express in someone who has been socialized, educated as a woman. Yeah. And most of the time it's like, oh, but like you were not like super active or like doing that or that, but there's a lot of masking and also like yeah. the context of like the family of like, for example, I know I was doing a lot of sports, so it was kind of helping me to regulate the energy. And then when I stopped that, when the eating disorder started, but nobody really asked me that at some point I was like, oh, that's why, but um, yeah. yeah, they were not like connecting the dots somehow. Has it been a relief then now to have connected the dots yourself? I How think so. Yeah. Cause I felt at some point I was super lost and feeling like I had to convince them, uh, who am I or like what I feel. And when I had access to the medication, it was also like pretty tough cause I was helping on a way, but also like really violent for my body because I was having a lot of side effects and and especially as I I have like a long and tough uh, PMS so it's kind of like it was emphasizing that a lot and I had oh. like a lot of migraines and after what I realized it was maybe because I had anemia because yeah. 
Yes. Uh, I think it's also like the the medication. It kind of like make the blood more fluid, and you you bleeding more. And then I realize, oh wow, but that's maybe why I have such strong migraine and like with a pain that made me like threw up. And I was like, oh, that's intense. So I talk about that with a therapist, and he was like, oh yeah, maybe that's a thing with like women. And I was like, like how did you never think about that? Like all most women have periods and yeah like Wait, it's something also have endometriosis or no no, so no. It's, it's just very um, painful yeah then it was uh it's maybe also like what like this uh premenstrual uh this dysphoria. dysphoria dysphoria disorders uh when yeah. i read about that i was like oh maybe it's also that because that could also explain this kind of depressing phases when I think everyone hates me and want to hurt me when mm -hmm. I'm just like isolating and then it passes. But um, yeah, and then at some point I was like, okay, I think I'm gonna just stop medication and use it when I need to really focus because it was like too, too hard for me. And I was feeling like I was forcing myself to still stick in a role in like having being able to focus eight hours per day like to stick in this like normal behavior uh, that were expected from me um at some point i was like i think i'm just gonna like like leave that and allow myself to find a rhythm that's good for me even if it makes no sense for other people and yeah i still have some in case i really need to focus on something and i'm struggling but like I don't take them on a daily basis because no. it was too much and yeah. too yeah too intense for my body. I felt I think it was like also really interesting because I was like okay this is also like what people were uh, like offering as a solution. It's like you have a problem, then take a medication and it's gonna solve the problem. And then I was like yeah, but like then I, I should take medication my whole life. And I think I was like okay, like maybe I should try to find like other ways. And maybe when I was on medication, it helped me to like set new routines or like to be like, yeah. okay, like, um, and now I know like every day I have stuff I do to feel more stable. I meditate like every day. And cause I know it's my way to, to be a bit more focused or to connect to my body and stuff like this. But like, I think it helped me a lot at that moment. I was also like using psychedelic, like more microdosing, yeah. and I felt at some point it was more helpful to microdose magic mushrooms rather than taking Elvanze, which is like a mesamphetamine medication. And I was like, okay, maybe it's self-medication, but it helped me. And I think it's yeah. maybe, I'm also feeling more like independent because the whole thing to have the prescription, then you need to rush to get them because everyone, everyone makes you feel like you like ordering like a really bad drug and you're gonna like resell them on the black market. And I don't know, feeling there's a huge tension around it. Like yeah. it's, and I was like, okay. And I think at some point I had the prescription and I completely forgot to go to the pharmacy. And then they were like, yeah, it's outdated that you can't take that. And I was so pissed and I was like, but Ah, it's not not ADHD friendly because like we tend to forget a lot of things forget, yeah. and to postpone a lot. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, I think I need to not rely or not depend on that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. But also because I've been interested for many years in psychedelic assisted treatments 
And still, it was fairly recently that I saw that, of course, there are studies being made around psilocybin and ADHD and with really positive results. And it's also you don't have to take them on a daily basis. I think there's also like a capitalistic approach. It's more interesting for like uh, pharmaceutical um, firms that you take a medication every day rather than just growing your own magic mushrooms and take them when you feel a bit like down or like or microdosing also LSD that is also pretty efficient for people who, like struggling with ADHD because yeah. you you don't need anyone yeah. so yeah mm. you just need your own little spores <laughs> and maybe I think also like I, I would have loved also to maybe like meet like a therapist that could help me on that it's also like such a shame that it's so taboo and illegal and stuff like this because yeah I think it could really be helpful and all the friends I introduced to like microdosing magic mushroom when they were feeling in a depressive phase it was always efficient yeah. doesn't like heal the problem but it helps to see them with another angle with a more like like stepping back a bit and not feeling completely overwhelmed and that's already a lot when you're like feeling super low and just struggling to get out of your bed yeah how quickly did you have to venture out into having your own client and and doing sex and gender counseling Mm, I think it took me when I when I finished the study, I haven't had any clients because uh, I was having a huge imposter syndrome, I think, <laughs> and I had to process that and also feeling there was probably some uh, some stuff I need to heal from before starting. And but yeah, it was like a few months when I was like, okay, I need to. There's something that's blocking me, but I don't understand why, what. And then I was always finding an excuse and so on. And at some point, yeah, I was so happy to have like friends from this school. And like, she was like really supporting me. Like you have to just like jump and it, you'll see it's gonna happen and so on. And she was like on, it's complicated actually. And she was like, yeah, like just like create your profile and then you're gonna see people are gonna connect you like, and. But I think there was also this thing like how how to introduce yourself when you haven't had any clients and how can you introduce your approach when you don't really know what is your approach. And there's also like a lot of different terms for different approaches and you're just like, okay, I don't know. And yeah. yeah, I think it's what the hardest when you start and then at some point you realize, ah, okay, like it's not so much about my approach, but it's more about my personality and my background and how I interact with people and feeling like, oh, that's what is connecting me with like, uh, what is like linking me and like connecting me with like the client and to be like, oh, like the less I try to play the therapist role, the better it goes. Cause I was feeling, yeah, but I need to be like, um, like a blank. Uh, page with no information, <laughs> which I'm not because like, if you Google my name, there's still stuff about podcasts. And I was like, how I can't erase everything, but it's also part of me. But I was yeah. feeling, yeah, like maybe people won't trust me because I had another life before. Do you remember yeah, and how now, you mm -hmm. came to that realization that, you know, yeah, opening up about your identity would actually become an integral part of your practice or an, an integral part of how you showcased 
your profession? I think so. I realized when I when I start the the podcast that the more I was being me and showing my own vulnerability, the more people were trusting me. And I realized it was a strength because I was like, always have been pretty easy to for me to talk about emotion and maybe because I also went uh, on therapy really young and like being like, okay, like I need to explain. And every therapist, they were like, okay, like the problem with you is not definitely not like sharing how you feel. You're pretty good at that. It's more like the why and so on. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, this like showing from where I'm talking from, it's just really important for me because like I'm showing also my own vulnerability and I think it's a good foundation to build like a trust uh, between the the client and me and be like, yeah, I'm completely aware you're going to share like something really intimate with me and you don't know me at all. And then I'm like, okay, how to exp like, also like, yeah, create this space when I'm like, I'm also here, I'm a human, I have my, my personality, but like also my experiences, and then we can connect also with that. And, and also like to share, like, like that I'm queer, for example, to be like you, like, that they won't have to explain a lot of things or that we would like try to avoid like those clumsiness that can hurt a lot. Or like sometimes mm. I also have a lot of clients explaining to me that they have to educate the therapist, yeah. like explaining what is asexuality or what is uh, BDSM or what is sex work. And like sometimes like therapists can say, can think that's the problem, but sometimes it's just one topic, but like maybe not the main thing why people are consulting. And so, yeah, I think it's trying to build like a, a dynamic that's more equal and yeah. to be like, I don't, I don't like this power dynamic being like, I know, and I'm going to explain to you how you work or like how your brain is working and so on. I, th I think it's more like I have my tools and you're your own expert, and then we can work together to help yourself to learn how you could have like a life that is more comfortable or like uh, knowing, getting to know them themselves or to also heal from some traumatic experiences or like how to um, get rid of some PTSD symptoms and work with it. And what does it mean for the type of clients that usually reach out to you? Do you have a lot of people who share your identity or is it more mixed than that? Like, I, I feel like as, as from the beginning, I, I was sharing, I was, uh, I'm queer. And then I felt like all the people contacting me were queer. So I was like, Ooh, interesting. Like kind of the people who are attracted by my profile are the one that I can also resonate with. And yeah, I feel like most of the people are like, or queer or neurodivergent or in the BDSM uh, community, sex work or sex positive. And that's all like all those kind of thing I use to introduce myself. That's exactly why people are like contacting me. So I think I was also kind of like, like validated in my approach of like, the more I share about me, the more people trust me somehow. Yeah. 
I guess you give them the best possible way of figuring out whether they will be able to relate to you rather than it being a very generic, impersonal description because, you know, then they'll probably have to do a couple of sessions to even find out, is there chemistry here? Is this mm -hmm. someone I can trust? But yeah, you're, you're providing the shortcut to that, it seems. In that sense, it can also be seen as something quite generous, you know, just like this is this is what you can expect. Um, mm. I feel also like all the terms, like the approaches, like even like holistic approach or like CBT and stuff like this, like for most people, they don't really know what it means and they don't really care sometimes about the approach. They just more care about like having a place when they can share uh, and open and be themselves. And then it's our job to choose the right approach. Um, yeah, first I was feeling like, yeah, should I put like more like smart words or stuff like this? But many clients told me like, I don't care about that. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is. And I don't want to do like a lot of research to understand what it means. And cause it's also like always like you have to go really deep and especially for neurodivergent people, they want to understand it. And so it can be a lot of work. And I think, yeah, it's less about the approach sometimes, but more about the personality of the, the therapist. For sure. But is that also the same with hypnotherapy because you're also trained in hypnotherapy and I can imagine that being a modality where people specifically want to try that out but mm. am I am I wrong in assuming that I I think like um what led me to train to hypnotherapy was at some point I was like or like through my own experience with trauma and through helping people who went through traumatic experiences, I was like at some point feeling the like talking therapy were was having some limits mm -hmm. and that it's it's nice to put words on trauma, but at some point it's like, okay, but how can I tell my body like I'm not reliving this trauma? Um and maybe my unconscious and I was talking with my supervisor, being like I feel limited with that and like also not being completely honest thing like, yeah, I'm going to help you with that if I don't truly believe that it's possible. And, and that's when she, she told me like, there's two approaches that you can train to, 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 uh, be more effective to help people with, with trauma and it was like, or EMDR, which is this approach with like eye, eyes movement and also like uh, using the unconscious or hypnosis. And then I already experienced hypnosis when I was uh, like a few years ago and I didn't do EMDR and I was like, okay, I think I feel more comfortable to train to an approach I already tried, uh, feeling I'm like my own guinea pig. And, and my supervisor is also trained to this approach in hypnotherapy. So I was like, okay, like I'm interested. So can we maybe do like a few sessions so I can like see how it is and if it's efficient or not. And I was really impressed. It really helped me. And then I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna train. And yeah, it was really, I don't know, like a epiphany when I was like getting trained and be like, okay, there's so much thing we can do through that. And it's even if when, when they introduce the approach, I'm always a bit like, like reluctant when people are like, it's like really efficient and quick. And I was like, oh, 
okay. It's uh -huh. like, I'm a bit like mm, doubtful, but um, yeah, I think it was really empowering also to be like, oh, wow, I have this tool and I can share it with a lot of uh, people around me and like feeling, oh, that's finally uh, something that's really helpful. And, and yeah, and I also felt with like the queer community, there's also like this uh, huge topic of like money. Like it's also like uh, people who are experimenting a lot of um, discrimination and money is hard also like the money situation and like the people that can struggle and also with like a short term approach, it's also offering like a tool that can help them to deal with like trauma that is maybe like shorter as talking therapy. And that was also like a, a big topic for me because feeling like I was having like queer clients, but like sometimes struggling to have regular sessions and you can't force someone if they can't afford it. And yeah. I can't also lower my price and too much because I also need to leave. And feeling there was kind of like, yeah, like a, a debate in my mind, like how can I find tools that are helpful, but also like short term somehow. Again, a very generous process. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, that's definitely, I don't know if you've ever thought that about yourself, but <laughs> I, I, it sounds like your journey has taken that into consideration. Just how can I, you know, how, how can I give to those in vulnerable positions who might not have the same circumstances as more privileged people? Mm. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure to hear about your journey and the way you work. Thank yeah. you for inviting yeah. me and for like making the space to share that also. Mm. You're so very welcome. <laughs> if you've heard our conversation until the end, you will understand why hearing Noemi's story moved me in a very literal sense to make the most of my own recently confirmed neuro spiciness as I've decided I want to call my diagnosis from now on. In fact, seeing as more and more people get the diagnosis or simply identify with the labels ADHD, neurodivergent, neurodiverse, or neurospicy, I want to make sure that it's complicated offers sufficient support and resources for those who want to learn more about the topic and thereby themselves. In our directory, we have 56 counselors who specialize in ADHD. And in our community, we have an open and free webinar on the 14th of March with Agnes Chersak, who is an ADHD coach and neurodiversity expert. The release of this episode, as well as the webinar happening in a bit more than two weeks from today's date, will be the first attempts at creating a community garden where you can always come with your questions and seek advice from experts around neurodiversity by visiting our community at community.complicated.life. Until next time.